Welcome to the Kinjas Podcast. Here we will discuss dance, life, and whatever the f*** we want. Welcome back to another episode of the Kinjas Podcast, Movement in the Shadows. I'm your host, Ben. This week, we continue our three-part discussion series on allyship. If you caught our first episode last week, we had an internal discussion with the Kinjas where we had sort of a roundtable discussion where it was very free-flowing. A lot of us were able to sort of unpack a lot of the, the thoughts that we've been struggling with, things that we've kind of maybe even grown up with that we're trying to gain an understanding and um, ultimately, we ended the episode with the question of what are the next steps. And in this part two episode, we go a little bit deeper into those next steps from an internal examination standpoint to externally what we can do to uh, further our knowledge and more so be able to actually implement those things that we are learning to action. And uh, my guests uh, in this special episode, uh, my very special co-host, Jason Bueno, who is my Kinja's brother. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist, along with Arnel Calvario, who is also a Kinja and a and the founder of Kaba Modern and KM Legacy. He's a president of Culture Shock International, and he is a doctor of occupational therapy. And our very special guest who joined us today um, is Kimmy Manikis. And Kimmy, is uh, she's served over 20 years in advancing social justice. Her academic backgrounds in ethnic studies and social sciences from UCI. She's the executive director of the California Conference for Equality and Justice, um, also known as CCEJ. She's a former director of Kaba Modern. She's the vice president of the board of directors for Culture Shock Los Angeles. She's a commissioner for the city of Long Beach's Ethics Commission. She's currently the executive director of Peer Health Exchange LA, which is a health equity organization providing health education for high school youth. So within this conversation and our panel of uh, guests to kind of speak into this sort of internal understanding of what it means to be an ally. And before we can even understand how to process things, a lot of the things need to start very basic with being able to define certain terms that are being used probably more so in our normal discussions these you know in the past couple of months or so than maybe um ever before so we we go into defining things the basic terms like race and what is racism to what is anti-blackness and we go through a a, a bunch of different sort of def definitions of these terms so that we can uh, understand how those things fit into our own ideologies of how we've kind of grown up in um, primarily in the United States and um, things that we may have maybe picked up and learned or even on a subconscious level believed in and um, learning how to dismantle some of those things that are problematic to ultimately go from not only being an ally, but to go the furthest degree of viewing viewing our relationship to the Black community from allyship to actual kinship, to, to see them and to care for them as if they were our own family. Uh, this discussion was uh, very packed with a lot of information. And though even for myself, I felt like I was in school and it was also a really good feeling because I think I was personally feeling that I was getting a lot of the information that I had been wondering about. And we, you know, as we go into this discussion, we also understand that these, uh, the topic, the broad topic of, of racism and systemic racism to ultimately learning how to dismantle. These are topics that are so huge that it would be literally impossible to have a full comprehensive understanding and discussion within one hour so um, we're going to have a lot of the the resources that Kimmy talks about uh, from this pod uh, we're going to put those in the show notes so that um, if you want to go back to uh, look up the links um, the the websites and the books and the things that we're referencing in this podcast um, all those will be plugged in the show notes and um, and we wanted to very much approach this discussion in a way where 
we're we're new to this, and uh, we know that a lot of um, you out there are very new to trying to gain an understanding to this level, um, because we know that it's bigger than just understanding something. We know that things need to actually change, and for them to really change and change effectively, um, they need to be done uh, knowledgeably and um, to, and to know how to do these things practically. So um, this one is really packed. I really enjoyed this discussion and the perspectives that that Jason and Arnell also bring in from um, their personal fields of expertise was very um, helpful and insightful. I would highly recommend taking out the notepad for this one. Obviously, if you're driving, uh, give it another listen when you get a chance. But there's a lot of information in this one. Uh, we definitely threw out a lot of terms that, um, you know, I think it's it's very important to kind of understand these terms for yourself. And um, again, this is something that we're also learning uh, for the first time. You know, we wanted to just spread the knowledge that we're getting to our community. Uh, this is obviously a, a huge topic and uh, we want to do our best to continue this commitment to be lifelong learners and and to push forward with this movement um this one's packed y'all i think this one's a good one uh, i think that's it let's get into it welcome back folks to another episode of the kinjas podcast movement in the shadows today or tonight we are uh continuing our three-part discussion series on allyship and uh today is part two if you guys missed part one, you can find that on uh, all streaming podcast platforms right now. And obviously, if you're here, you're seeing it live. And uh, if you missed this episode or if you want to go back to it, uh, this will also be up on the podcast platforms this coming Friday. So let's hop into it. So um, we didn't even introduce uh, our guests properly last time. So Jason Bueno uh, helped co-host Hello, last week. He is a Kinja, and he is a, I don't want to butcher the, the actual title. <laughs> I had to ask him, like, what's your job title? He is a licensed, mar- licensed marriage and family therapist. And we have Arnel Calvario um, of the Kinjas. He is the founder of Kaba Modern and KM Legacy, president of Culture Shock International, and he is a doctor of occupational therapy. And our very special guest tonight is Kimi Manikis. Kimmy has had over 20 years in service of advancing social justice. Her academic background is in ethnic studies and social, social sciences at UC Irvine. Shout out Ant Eaters. We're all, we're all UCI alum here. Zot, zot. UCI's in the house. Um, she's the director uh, of the California Conference for Equality and Justice, AKA CCEJ. Former director of Kaba Modern. Shout out Kaba Modern. Vice President of Board of Directors for Culture Shock LA. She is a commissioner for the City of Long Beach's Ethics Commission and currently the director of Peer Health Exchange LA, which is a health equity organization providing health education for high school youth. Welcome, Kimmy. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. And thank you for having, obviously, thank you guys. having us. Um, so as we kind of dove into the whole broad topic of allyship, Last week, um, we started off with a sort of roundtable internal family discussion amongst just the Kinjas brothers, and we had a very just uh, open, raw conversation, um, questions that we had for ourselves, for one another, um, and then we also obviously talked about uh, some topics in regards to understanding uh, what ally- allyship even is, and uh, we kind of um, ended that episode with, uh, so what are these like next steps, right? And um, so the, the next two, so tonight and uh, next week, we're going to go into deeper how we can um, understand how to apply this and move forward. Uh, and so um, with Kimmy here, you know, she obviously has a lot of um, experience and uh, knowledge to share within that. And, uh, you know, we also kind of wanted to approach um, this whole topic in a very humble student sort of manner because we're all, um, I think we're all pretty comfortable to say we're, we're newbies in, in like learning about this stuff. And so, and we, you know, we would imagine there's a lot of people out there that are learning things for the first time. And so um, I think it may be like starting off by like defining some terms, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of 
terms that are being thrown uh, around, you know, social media, like we just, like I'm literally like Googling all these things when I see them, like what does that mean? And, and so, um, you know, things like, you know, let's start even very elementary, like race and racism and anti-blackness and allyship in general, in case people missed out on the last one. But um, uh, Kimmy, maybe if you can kind of like walk us through, um, yeah, like how we should understand some of those terms and then um, more so how and like why those things like apply to us, um, especially within primarily the AAPI non-black POC community. Mm-hmm. Great, thank you. First of all, um, thank you for inviting me. It's really, I'm so honored to be part of this uh, important conversation and thank you to the Kinjas organization for picking up this, um, this dialogue because it, it is really important. Um, and I want to, I think it's important to, to start off just acknowledging um, all of the black movement leaders who have brought us to the place that we are currently, um, that are, that are ha- fighting for black liberation and have been fighting for black liberation, especially since um, the loss of Trayvon Martin. Um, and want to also name and say the names of the folks that we've lost. Um, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, Dominique Fells, Rhea Milton, Andres Guardado, Sean Monterosa, and what we're learning, and I will say his name, Elijah McLean today. Um, All of whom have been taken early and who are now our ancestors um, and who this fight is is for. So I wanted to acknowledge them. Um, And also want for this to be conversational. I know that I I will be pulling some you know, some tools and using some definitions, but would want for us to like be in conversation about that. And um, there's so much richness already in the first episode that you all contributed to it. So don't want to be kind of like the subject matter expert that's like gonna take over, you know, the, the whole hour. Um, but just wanna introduce some, some food for thought for us to talk about. Awesome. Um, so I will be, I do wanna credit also um, the folks who worked on Tatlong Bagsak for Black Lives, which was a sem- symposium this past weekend for Filipinos, Filipinaxes, and Filipinas to um, do some work around anti-blackness. Um, and the organizations that were part of that were Pinoy Pinay Educational Partnerships, Balai Collective, Pinaista, Asian Solidarity Collective, Can't Stop, Won't Stop, and Asian American and Pacific Islander Student Services at SF State. And so... Um, I think there's going to be some resources, too, that yes. we'll be dropping. Yeah. So I'll be referencing some things. Um, we'll, we'll create links for all of those things so that you can all access them as well. Um, but the website for them is tatlongbagsak.org. Um, and before we go into definitions, I, I want to also, again, revisit like the why, um, which you all talked about in the first episode. And why is it important for us to stand up for black lives? Why is it important as um, AAPI identified folks, largely or non-black people of color to do that? Um, Or as a dance community, like why are those things important? And you all touched on some really important um, pieces last week, but wanted to just also open it up for any other reflections that might've come up for you all. I mean, kind of like what Phil said, just on a humanity level, it's the right thing to do. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just like on a humane level, this is the right thing to do. This is like something that's needed to happen a long time ago in a deeper way. And so um, I think we as just humanity are being called to really dig deep on how we can move forward, you know, as a people to heal and grow. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's like the... The basic why is it's the right thing to do. It's the basic why, but it's also the like ultimate why, right? Yeah. I think what also stood out to me, even in our conversation that we had earlier this week, was something very poignant but very straightforward. What you shared, Kimmy, was just like everyone has the right to live with dignity, just the right to live. Um, and I think even with the why. I think this is also pointed out from a fellow Kinja as far as like understanding our own defensiveness and being able to recognize as far as, you know, 
the guilt that we can sometimes carry and how do we, what do we, where do we go with that guilt knowing that it's not just about being uh, non-racist, but mm. to be anti-racist. And these are the pieces that for anyone who is non-black, um, these are the important questions that we have to ask ourselves, but also to also feel as far as like, what is that discomfort saying? And, you know, to engage in that kind of dialogue, I think is really important for us to kind of like sit with and not to feel that we have to justify or rationalize or have to kind of like get some kind of affirmation or absolution from any of our black friends or family members to say like, you're okay, like, you know, but to really understand like, no, I do perpetuate certain elements of anti-blackness. I do perpetuate certain um, pieces of, uh, of racism. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I think uh, we, we touched on this one pretty, pretty hefty last time was uh, um, the concept of privilege and um, understanding that we all share in some level of privilege because or not, it's not that we, you would only have that if you were a white person, but we as AAPI also have privilege and um, to even understand like uh, like the um, ability to be like, I want to just shut my social media off today because it's just too much. And like, it's, I'm just being bombarded. I just need to take a rest. Like that right there shows that I have the privilege to shut something off when I feel like it, when our black brothers and sisters don't have that luxury to just shut things off because that's their life. And so, um, and I do want to get into that a little bit later down in this conversation in terms of how do you self-care because that is important, but um, to be willing to stay in the fight um, even when things are rough. Um, but yeah, to understand that that ability that I have to shut things off shows my, or that's a sign of my privilege. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I think the um, one thing that keeps coming up um, that black people and organizers have been saying are we will all be free when black people are free. Um, and there's something in there about our collective liberation and our collective healing that needs to be centered in how we approach, you know, what, our, what we do in our next steps, which I hope we can um, really kind of look at more closely today. And I'll have some tools that I can leave everyone with to help with some reflection questions, like doing the personal, interpersonal work and the really internal work of reflecting on those really tough, tough, uh, uncomfortable points that we're experiencing. Great. Okay, so um, there's a there's a handout that I'm gonna pull out that is from Tatlong Bagsak with critical concepts. Um, we will link it in the podcast, I believe. Um, we're not gonna go over every concept because there's like uh, maybe like 20 of them. So, but all of these, if you have the opportunity to kind of dive into it, um, look at some of the resources that have been provided so that you get a deeper understanding. I think it's really um, key in, in developing a common language for us to really have productive conversations um, around subjects like racism, anti-blackness, anti-black racism. But I wanted to just go over quickly or go over with us um, some definitions. So one being race, um, and the definition here is from Omi and Wynant. They're uh, uh, critical in uh, Asian American studies, ethnic studies in defining um, kind of the foundational theoretical work of race and racism. And race is a social construct and a concept which signifies and symbolizes social conflicts and interests by referring to different types of human bodies. Um, so this points to the idea that race actually is not something that is biological. It's a socially constructed concept that has actually been used to distribute power, to um, take away power, to target, and to offer privileges to whites, and um, to deny privileges to people of color. Um, and that connects to our definition of racism and racism is a system of oppression based on the belief that 
the superiority of whiteness over other races. So racism manifests when people, sorry, when power is, is used to deny access, rights, and or opportunities to a particular group or person based on their racial background. And I think it's important to recognize within the definition of racism that it is systemic. It's something that is, has been established since the foundation of this country. Um, and it's been established through laws, through cultural norms, um, through the various systems that continuously will uphold whiteness as superior to all other, um, all other races and people of color. So let me stop there. Is there anything else that you all want to add? Or does anyone have questions about like either one of those definitions? It's pretty clear. Pretty clear? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Um, and so in order to understand racism um, and how it is perpetuated, uh, we like to look at it with um, using the four eyes. And the four eyes of racism are ideological racism, so believing in upholding white supremacy in ways that we think, act, and feel. Institutional racism, again, um, the act of reproducing and perpetuating ideas of white supremacy through systems, policies, and practices. Um, those exist in institutions like the media, education, law, health, religion, military, police, community, employment, housing, and politics. And then interpersonal racism, the act of oppression between people. So the idea that one group is superior to another group and allowing us to mistreat one another or mistreating somebody because of their race is interpersonal. And then internalized is the act of believing and internalizing the ideological, institutional, and interpersonal racism that we do not need to force or pressure, that we do not need force or pressure from oppressors because we already do it to ourselves and others. Um, so with all of these various eyes, I think what's key in um, pointing out here is that when we, you know, we, we tend to sometimes get into debates about who is racist, who's not, what was racist, what was not. Um, and we could spin our wheels kind of like identifying like what technically makes something or somebody racist. But I think what's most helpful is to think about the ways that we all participate in the system of racism um, and the ways that we uphold it. So it's... You know, I had a trainer in restorative justice who is um, doing incredible work with restorative justice in schools in Oakland. Her name is Rita Alfred. And she talks about how, you know, punishment is, is like all around us. We've, violence and punishment is the way that we kind of learn how to deal with each other. And when we don't, you know, we, we easily go there. And if we're trying to transform the ways that we interact with one another and develop relationships, we have to transform our relation to punishment. And that it, it hovers like right here all the time. And even it takes active engagement to, to not engage with punishment. And I think in the same way, um, the various systems of oppression that we see in, in our society operate right here. We, we're in it, we can't kind of escape from it regardless of how much we want to. Um, and that's just key to recognize when we talk about um, especially racism during this time. So let, let me stop there again and then see if there's any comments or reflections that folks have about that. Yeah, I think the, that stuff's, um, at least for me, I, I think it's pretty clear. And, and like, I think even where um, we would want to maybe uh, you know, we hear and probably uh, a lot of the folks that are watching is like, you know, okay, I get, I get what it is. How does this apply, like, to let's say our our community, right, mm -hmm. within um, the dance community? You know, we, we can even start there, and um, and as we under, I think the definitions are where they where they start because that's where we're like, okay, I get that. And then, okay, I get that. Okay, now what do I do about that? You know what I mean? And I think that's where a lot of the, um, you know, even some of the questions that came in um, on our Instagram was a lot having to do with, like, 
what is our dance community going to do about this, or what should we do about this? And so, um, and as this particular discussion is more so on the internal processing of things, so like the self-realizations, um, understanding what those definitions mean, and then, okay, so now, now that I understand that and I can see it from this lens, what do I do, you know, because we, we touched on it, you know, having these uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversations with, like, our parents, our friends and families, our smaller circles, and then, um, and then you know, we obviously want to, like, take it from there and then take it out into the world. Um, so maybe uh, what, what are your, some of your thoughts in terms of, like, the... It starts internal first, so mm-hmm. you, you ask yourself the questions, right? Like, why do I think this way? Or why do I think this is okay? Or why do I think this is wrong? Like, do you have any thoughts towards, like, how we can kind of go from, like, the, you know, the internal, the micro to the macro level? Mm-hmm. I think, that, I feel like that's a tendency right now is to jump to what do I do, right? Mm. That, that feels like a, like, there's an urgency right now, which there is, absolutely, because people are dying both from COVID and then also from like police brutality. Um, and so there's an urgency about like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And I think that it is equally to Jason's point earlier, it, important to kind of pause and really do some deep reflection around, you know, how does this show up in my interactions with others? How does this show up in our policies as an organization or, as a, in my interaction with my colleagues who I might have harmful behavior toward but not realizing it? How does it show up in my family structures where I might have um, like a child who is being disciplined harsher, more harsher because they are a black child versus someone who's not black? You know, there's really, it's a continuous journey. I think that our tendency to want to go outwards all the time and like, want to change other people is important and then also as equally important is for us to slow down and really interrogate Mm. how we are participating in it as well because it's a journey someone has been doing social justice work for a long time it's still constantly a journey and Mm. i still constantly have to reflect on um you know how decisions that i make as a as an organizational leader might impact um marginalized communities specifically black folks um yeah, so I think that's, that's something I would yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really important. I had a question because mm-hmm. I, thought, I thought what you were talking about with like concepts of punishment mm-hmm. and how you know, it's in our everyday lives. Could you just mention like some common ones that are, you know, that so it's a little bit more tangible for people like you know, yeah. listening to that concept? Yeah. Because when you were talking about it, it's like, yeah, I feel that, I know what you're saying, but I was like, but how does that show up in like my life or yes. commonly in the lives of like of, of our, yeah. like people like us? Yeah, <laughs> I so actually the so the definition of anti-blackness that I was going to use is taken from Dr. David Stovall, who uh, was a panelist in Tatlong Bagsak last week, um, and I thought it was really really great in illustrating actually connected to the concept of punishment. So he says that anti-blackness um, is, well, blackness is understood by white supremacy as something to be punished, contained, marginalized, and the belief that the black body is to be the subject of punishment and violence. And then anti-black racism are the ways that the system upholds that belief um, and demonstrates to everybody else that the black body is criminal and deviant. It's the ways that the system actu- actualizes that Um, so that folks know, the public knows, how the black body is a target of punishment. And so I think for us as, I think of my own identity as being Filipino, right? Filipinos have been colonized um, people for centuries under Spanish rule and then most recently under the U.S. imperialism. And punishment is, you know, we utilize punishment to subjugate people to comply to get them to um, basically get in line. And as colonized bodies and colonized people, we have you know, experienced that for generations now. And it comes up in our parenting, it's been passed over, even though we're not in the Philippines anymore, we live here, 
and we're still in the process of decolonizing even within the, like, I guess, belly of the beast, right? Um, and we, so we've, we've learned that, and that's the ways that we know how to, how to relate to one another. So even as a parent in my relationship to my kids, um, you know, I would say that I'm still really punitive. You know, I try to like, I think we've, we've studied nonviolent parenting, um, nonviolent communication is a whole movement that people are trying to, you know, move toward. And it's still a very challenging thing to, to undo because of the nature of how we rely on punishment so much. Um, school systems too, like I think that's, that's the whole advocacy and organizing efforts that are happening to dismantle the school to prison pipeline. Um, you know, things like suspension, expulsion, do nothing to actually address the root causes of what's happening with a young person. Um, and so instead of kicking students out or arresting them or bringing in police, we need to find other interventions. And same thing for, you know, policing. I think that's connected actually to, to blackness and black bodies is that if, if black bodies are continuously, have historically been seen as the place of punishment and control, the state has created the mechanism for controlling black people and we're seeing the violence um, and what it results in live now. Um, and so the, the idea of undoing that is something, so healing, you spoke about healing earlier. Healing is something that we need to do. We need to actually stop more violence from happening. We need to humanize each other. We need to, to do all of these things to, to move away from punishment violence. And that's just so interesting because, you know, working, like doing, being a therapist in the school district, it's like, it's, it is so clear now that you actually break it down that we don't have social workers. They have eliminated social workers from the school systems. Um, counselors are used one counselor for three schools. So everything that we think about with, for like therapeutic or counseling, it's gone from the schools. And then on top of that, even therapeutic arts, like arts programs are also being cut from the schools. So yeah, you're right. We, even in our school systems, like we're left with punitive resolutions. Yeah, you're right. Um, suspension, expulsion, um, the existence of ED classes, ex emotionally disturbed. And now I think about it, I look at the ED class, which is like, you know, the extreme behaviors and it's mostly black kids mm -hmm. and now it just it's it's like all these things are starting to click that it's it's at every in every embedded in every system we know yeah and when i, I just never thought about it in terms of punishment mm -hmm. that where we breeded you know whether it's a city a government or a societal thing we breeded yeah punitive mm -hmm. culture right and um now I know why there's so much emotion regarding advocacy and counseling and therapy and even our work with our talking to our parents, like when they have, you know, marital problems or problems within, it's like, it's yelling, mm -hmm. it's hurting each other versus like the belief that in like counseling or a therapy or things that just aren't really advocated for enough. Yeah. And so I guess I could kind of see it, how it is even in my own family life, like, wow, it's just like connecting. Mm -hmm. you know I mean? And I guess this is part of the internal work we have to look at. And as I'm just, it's just clicking right now, <laughs> you know, in real time for me that um, it's in my home, it's in my work. And then as I examine that, how does that connect also to the lived experience of my black brothers and sisters? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because when we examine that, maybe that can, the first work is, is in our immediate and then it informs us for our advocacy and moving from, like we talked earlier, from allyship to partnership and kinship. Mm -hmm. Want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Meister Watches. They are truly masters of their craft, from quality materials and masterful timepieces to functional lifestyle accessories for the movers and shakers of the worlds they collide with. Meister is doing it. They've collaborated with some of the biggest brands in sports, 
music, comic book, car culture, and pop culture. We've actually had the pleasure of collaborating with them on a timepiece a few years back. I rock their ambassador watch. This one's my everyday watch. This one's my favorite. They are for our culture and for those that are on a constant mission to master their craft. Hop on to mstrwatches.com and pop in the discount code KINJASPOD to receive 25% off your entire purchase at checkout. And this discount is exclusive to the Kinjas podcast. You won't find this discount anywhere. Hop on to mstrwatches.com and rock with the illest. This show is officially brought to you by Kinesthetic. Hop on to store.kinjas.com and plug in the promo code podcast spelled with the K at checkout to get 15% off your entire purchase. We're always trying to bring you guys the illest gear for all your movement in the shadows needs. Follow us on Instagram at kin.aesthetic. Like us on Facebook at kinesthetic brand. Yeah, I I think you you all will t- talk next week about policies specifically, but I think that that's kind of fundamental to a lot of activism, actually advocacy that's happening in terms of like funding, right? If we look at budgets and see budgets either through uh, you know city or county or district and those are supposed to reflect priorities then we are prioritizing criminalization and we can't punish away problems right you as mental health practitioners also know that we need trauma-informed responses and not more punishment that does nothing we're just creating generations of traumatized people and so the ask the demand to defund police um, actually is uh, like divestment in that that whole ideology and investment into the things that we as people are demanding around our humanity. Yeah, I think what I could add to that too, I mean, the notion of just, of oppression being so pervasive pervasive across so many different systems, even in in the psychology field and in therapy uh, with it being itself uh, coming from a very ethnocentric, uh, patriarchal kind of like um, foundation and really now trying to really incorporate this notion of cultural competency. But then the cultural competency even is uh, oppressive in a sense that it's only identifying the other, whereas, you know, whiteness is the standard, it's mm-hmm. the, the default. And I even being able to address that. And I really like what you said to me earlier in terms of like asking those questions for ourselves of like in this ongoing um, trying to understand of like, like who, who's racist or not. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important that we can also uh, recognize that we can be racist even when it's unintentional or even outside of our own conscious awareness. You know, and I think one of the things that we didn't really get addressed last time in uh, last podcast was about microaggressions. And I think it's important for the audience to also understand what that means in the sense that microaggressions are these everyday verbal, nonverbal, and even environmental kind of like slight jabs and insults mm. that are intentional or unintentional that still communicate very derogatory, hostile, and, and negative kind of messages. And there are different types of themes um, that I like to share, just two that I think could be really uh, kind of drive to the point, especially with the AAPI community. There's this notion of being an alien in one's own land. And I shared this with, with the crew last week that for someone who's non-Asian could come up to an Asian person and automatically say, hey, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, I'm from Long Beach. And they're like, no, where are you from? And even though that can maybe come from a really good place, like they're saying like, oh, I'm just curious, you know, you, you know, it still speaks to that. They already view you as a foreigner, this perpetual foreigner that you didn't belong here. You're like this, uh, you're not a true American. And so again, the intention wasn't there, but the impact of how that is over time and cumulatively uh, can take its toll. I think another piece to that, another theme would be colorblindness. And 
while good intention, well-intentioned, someone is like, I don't see color. You know, I see we're all just one race, the human race. And while that can come from a good place, you know, what that really speaks to is that it denies and invalidates one's lived experience individually, but also as, as a racialized group or any kind of marginalized group. And so over time, again, that can take its toll. And I think when I, one of the things that I've heard that really kind of makes a lot of sense to me is that there's a saying of uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And so for us to really be able to be aware of like, okay, even if we have good intentions, we can still perpetuate racism. We can still perpetuate homophobia. We can still perpetuate all the different isms. And we have to be able to kind of like understand that and really accept that, acknowledge that like, okay, even though I was coming from a good place, it can still have its implications. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole idea of intent versus impact being really something that we have to actually be conscious of in our interactions with each other. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I think, I think now's a good time to kind of shift, right, to, to talking about what maybe transformative solidarity is. Transformative solidarity um, coming from uh, the, the actual concept being borrowed from, um, I want to get this, this right. Um, from Drum, Daisy's Rising Up and Moving. So um, they outline kind of four levels of, sol- uh, of transformative solidarity, one being symbolic. So the kind of like verbal, verbally expressing it, putting out like signs, wearing a shirt, those types of things. Transactional uh, solidarity, which is often done between organizations or a group of people uh, based on an even exchange. And then embodiment, uh, individuals literally embodying and living their uh, visions and beliefs of the world. And then transformative, when masses of oppressed communities choose to forego something that would benefit them and do not take it because it comes at the expense of others in oppressed communities. Um, and I want to also, I just want to thank uh, Dr. Alison Tintiaco Kubales. Before this, before I got here, she texted me with um, a, a kind of quote from Dr. Andrew Holivete, who's a native professor at UCSD. And his keynote speech today um, talked about the need for us to go beyond allyship, to go beyond being accomplices, and actually embody kinship. So the notion that we need to care about each other as though we would care about the the people that we love, um, our families. There's um, the Filipino concept of kapwa. There's the African concept of... Ubuntu, there's in Lakesh, in Native communities. And so we have those values rooted within our, within our histories and within our cultures. And I think that once we start talking about the ways that um, transformative solidarity can show up, you know, I think I would, I would say that you all have something already within your values that are already strong to, to base this kind of analysis off of. And I would encourage, like, that exploration with that lens um, moving forward, because it is, I think that's true. We have to go beyond, like, you know, we have to lead with, with the heart piece and our humanity again, right? And so when we're looking at, there's a, another worksheet here that looks at, um, you know, transformative solidarity and to some reflection questions that are here are, um, You know, how do you first, A, admit and accept? So what do I need to learn about anti-blackness? What do I need to admit about my complicity to anti-blackness? What do I need to accept about my positionality and privilege? And then how can I use my personal agency to change? So that's that's like the A part. Um, And I'm sorry, we're using like an ACT acronym, A-C-T. C is commit. Um, What are your commitments as an organization or leader against anti-blackness. So with all four of those um, things, ideologically, institutionally, interpersonally, and um, internally. And then T is transform. What is our organization going to forgive, forgo or give up to ensure black liberation? Um, what, what is our organization going to do or change to ensure the liberation of black lives? 
And what are our commitments that we're going to make? And then how do we cultivate relationships um, to build transformative solidarity? Um, all of that is within like this, this handout, and I think that's just, again, another tool to be self-reflective, but then also to collectively reflect together on um, you know, how you all as an organization, how we all as a community want to demonstrate transformative solidarity and kinship with, with one another. Yeah, that's great. Um, if we could get those resources. For sure. To, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll post all the, the links and stuff to that. And as we're talking about um, resources, I mean, I mean, I know we're all down to learn. I'm down to straight up be in a classroom right now. And I think that's like what this is. Um, and, you know, with resources, um, that also can get, uh, there's just so much out there and, you know, social media will essentially just give you anything and mm -hmm. not all of it's, you know, the best uh, stuff to take in. And, um, you know, as we we're talking on our call uh, earlier this week in terms of like even the types of uh, learners that we all are, you know, not everybody learns and receives information the same or retains it by the same means, you know. Um, some people are auditory learners, visual learners, reading, writing, and then there's the kinesthetic learners, right? The ones that have to actually do to like actually, oh, okay, I figured it out because my hands are on it and, and I'm doing. Um, with, uh, you know, Arna, I know you have a lot of, um, you know, uh, even professionally in your field with this. Um, in terms of like how uh, we want to sort of understand first, what kind of learner are you, right? You got to understand that first. And then with that, um, like how to like practically, you know, get our, our, our minds to understand the things that we need to understand um, in these times. I mean, that's why I think like when we think about, let's just like take Instagram alone. Like um, if we don't examine what kind of learner we are, like how we like receive and integrate and also have longevity in learning uh, can be problematic because like through Instagram, um, some of it is visual, you know what I mean? So people who like reading will, will have a hard time if you know, there aren't a lot of printed words, you know? Um, but then again, if you're a visual learner and all you see are posts with lots of like listed information, you're not gonna, you're not gonna receive it or be able to integrate it well. And then a lot of us are kinesthetic. <laughs> a lot of dancers are kinesthetic. So even if they see it on there, they're not going to really integrate it or resonate with it unless they see movement. So maybe like a dance piece where they see movement and they can relate to it, like they can learn that way. So I think in our conversation earlier, we were talking about like we first have to examine what kind of learner are we. Like for me, I'm a visual and auditory learner. So things, posts that are visual to me, but also have sound to it, I, I can connect with that more. Um, and I think that's important to know what kind of learner we are as we are sifting through and absorbing information. Because I'm a visual and auditory learner, I also like documentaries. So more than Instagram posts, I like Netflix and other things because it's activating how I like to learn. And I'm realizing I have more energy to take more, like I can watch like five documentaries in a row and be like all in it, but I can get eye fatigue from, I'm not a reading right person, mm -hmm. like I've never been, <laughs> you know? Um, and then I think when we get to that next step, when you talk about like kinship and activating, we have to think about the audience we're addressing because if we're talking to an audience of learners and where our style doesn't match what we're trying to share, it's not going to make it as much of an impact, right? Yeah. So I think like even at the basis of, as we're making this space to kind of grow and learn, we really have to think about the basics of what kind of learner are we and the person, if it's even just one person or if it's, especially if it's an entire team or entire group or entire community, um, how are we making our delivery effective so you like mm -hmm. optimize impact, Yeah, you know? Um, I. I had to take a break because I was like, I was just talking to Dustin, my partner. Um, and I was just getting overwhelmed, you know, at one point. And he was like, I think it's because you're just keep looking at Instagram posts mm -hmm. and you're, you're more like, I know, I know you liked documentaries. Maybe we should take a break, like no more Instagram after a certain point of time 
And at nighttime, you know, you just make space for your learning, like through, because I was also getting overwhelmed because people were sending me articles and I'm not a read, write learner. I've never been in school either. Um, so I was getting overwhelmed reading like 10 page documents and, you know, starting to get blurry eyed, you know? Um, but yeah, then when I, when I matched the way I like to learn, um, I feel like I've, I've had more opportunities to transform within and to um, be able to examine things, the hard things, yeah. you know, within. And now I'm just thinking about like, as I move to the next step, even like when I'm participating in like Zoom calls, like understanding like, there's probably a hell of people on these Zoom calls that are not auditory learners mm -hmm. and Zoom is only auditory. <laughs> so even thinking about the leaders planning these Zoom calls, like what are you doing visually, like sharing the screen, taking breaks for videos, mm -hmm. like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Use, I, like, I like also those videos on Instagram where it's like, you know, through cartoons, you can learn about racism, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like you've seen, you've seen that yeah. on Instagram. I like those, you know what I mean? So um, even thinking about when we're holding meetings and we're getting together with our groups of um, making sure the delivery matches all the different kinds of learners out there, mm -hmm. I think it's important yeah. right now. So. I think there's been a question that I've been thinking about for almost all my career, being in social justice and dance, and it's like, what is the role of dance in liberation? And there's, there's we, our people have used it to subvert like power structures that oppress us. We've used it, black folks use it as healing and expression and survival. Um, and I, I feel like that there's something here also in this moment that is like, as dancers and artists, how do you, you know, how, how does this fit into like our collective liberation? How does it fit into like black liberation? And if anything, the black liberation movement right now is showing us that things need to get thrown out. Like structures need to get thrown out. They're not serving us. They're just harming us. And as we reimagine the future and reimagine what we want to create, dance has to have a role in that. Like that, it's been, it's proven time and time again in history that we, we lean on that. And so I would just like encourage for that kind of thought to also be something that as you're generating things, you know, like how does that, how does the art form in itself contribute to our collective liberation? And I know that's super meta, but like, I think it's time to like, even throughout performance or like just, you know, panels like this, or like, because there's so many other ways that artists would like to be engaged. Not everybody needs to be an organizer, right? Like someone asked last week on the mm -hmm. podcast, it's like, do I have to give up everything and just like be an organizer now? It's like, that's clearly not your strength, but what are your gifts to this world? And let's leverage those. Yeah, like when I see like individual expressions, those are like just as powerful as collective expressions. So like just even between yesterday and today, there are like two videos that were kind of expressing, you know, um, some feelings towards the Black Lives Matter movement that I thought were really powerful. Mm -hmm. But there have been a lot of also individual expressions that are authentic, mm -hmm. that are also super powerful, you know, that dancers can do. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think on the other side of all of this, like painful, like growth that that's necessary will be like some amazing art <laughs> mm -hmm. um, because that's always been you know what I mean like a vehicle a vehicle for us. So. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I, when I think about that, I think of how healing can come in many forms, and very much how healing is also embodied. And when we're thinking about healing, we're also thinking about injury, wounds, trauma. And there's so much individual and collective trauma uh, occurring. And there's this notion and more and more research is being done is really kind of recognizing that trauma isn't just, doesn't just stay in our minds. Trauma is in every part of our bodies, every cell. And with the work that I do, it's also kind of, uh, there's this notion of how to go through this process of healing, either from a top-down or a bottom-up method. Top-down meaning that there's this traditional kind of talk therapy where we're talking it over, we're using language, using words and communication as a way to kind of process the trauma that has occurred or is occurring to facilitate 
healing. But from a bottom-up perspective is like the embodied practices, dance, yoga, art, breath work. These are the kind of things that are like, how are we utilizing these art forms in a way that facilitates healing, but also recognizes the trauma um, individually, but also collectively. Yeah. Yeah. That's the lane. There's a lane for that, all of that work that is part of liberation. And then there's a lane of like joy too, that subverts all of the, the oppressive things that try to keep, keep us down. That is all part of dance, all part of it. Yeah, yeah, I love this, you know, everything that we're, we're talking about, um, you know, even as you said, you know, how um, dance plays a role in this. And uh, even, you know, we, we had our discussion last week where we're, um, you know, even discussing certain terminology that um, is problematic that we're deciding to let go of because it hurts um, uh, a certain people. and. You know, as we're, we, we unpacked this conversation even further last week with like even a longer discussion after we stopped rolling, but like, we're like, yo, this ultimately just kind of comes down to identity. People want to belong. People want to feel unique. People want to be heard. People want to be understood. And, um, you know, all of this journey, again, you know, we have an hour, we have about, you know, five or so minutes left, uh, which want to get to some questions that came in. but. Um, we don't expect for an hour conversation to be like, cool, everybody got it. Like, <laughs> good luck. You know, we, you know, we have to, um, yeah, you know, as you're saying, Arnell, like learning things in the moment, like, yo, this is just coming to me right now. I'm, I'm starting to understand something. And it's, um, like you said, Bueno, like this talking of talking out of things, which is sharing, you know, what you feel to what you know, to what you think, and then have an audience receive, give back. And then, that's that the lifelong learning process is going to be that you know and so we don't expect um this thing to get figured out in in a you know an hour talk here but um we did get some questions that came in uh thank you to everybody who sent in questions on the ig uh want to address some of these um this one comes from at j daniel underscore 91 what are you doing to educate asian american uh asian family and friends that see Asians as model minorities over black or brown people. And, um, you know, we talked on our call a little bit last time about like elitism, like even within minorities that there's somehow a, like a hierarchy, it's, uh, there's a myth that like, okay, well there's the minority category, but that even within there, there's like the model minority, which is why do, why do the Asians kind of get that title over like black or brown people? Um, Anybody have thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think that that's a really important part of showing solidarity is to do that with our families because that's our role, right? Yeah. Um, the One of the reflection questions that I saw today from somebody that um, posted it, it was like, what, like analyze the harm that you're doing by cutting off your toxic friends and relatives because you don't want to engage, rather than engaging them in a discussion further. Um, and that's, that's been like literally asked of us by movement for Black Lives leaders. They have said like, go get your cousins essentially, right? Talk to your folks. And I think it's very hard. Um, there's some tools within Tatlong Bagsak that have like allowed us to actually practice like given scenarios and like actually the worksheet, the worksheet that I, that I was referencing helps to kind of like develop some talking points around that. Um, and I think, I mean, reflecting on your family structure, family dynamics, um, and then approaching it strategically is something that my friend Kalaya and Mendoza had mentioned um, in the last podcast that you, you can actually approach it like, a, like a, almost like an organizing tactic, right? Like how much can I move this person? What, at what time, how much time do I have to talk to them? What's a realistic kind of goal within this time frame that I have? Mm. Um, and approaching it strategically, I think, is, um, and incrementally, is going to be, you know, is important. But doing it, I think, is going to be, is, is the part that we mm. have to commit to doing. Yeah, that's good. Um, got time for maybe a couple more questions. This one comes from at jdemesa underscore art. How can non-black POC use their arts, dance, music, et cetera, as platforms and tools of allyship? 
Um, great question. Yeah, we just kind of touched on that, right? I mean, um, uh, dance is is uh, is expression, and a lot of real life things that um, we experience will inspire uh, art, right? And inspire a certain movement. Um, and uh, there's a lot of uh, healing that comes from letting it out, depending on what type of a, a learner you are, to how you express. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, that's what art is for, is to, um, is to express. So hopefully that kind of helps. Can I uh, add something real yeah. quick? Just one thing that I saw happening in the community that I like is, like with Sora, what she did, is like um, also amplifying, you know, voices. Like, so if we want to understand and we don't know, why don't you use your huge platform and let it amplify someone's voice that you want to learn about? That's something like all people with large platforms can do that's pretty simple, is giving, giving, um, giving voice to someone else and using your platform that way. Because again, there's a lot of learning that's outside our understanding, you know? Um, so I think that's one way for sure when you think about your art, is if you have a large platform, like think about the people you want to learn from in your own life and give them your platform, whether it's for an hour or you know, or have conversations. Yep. I think that's an art, another way to use your artist, 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 artistic platform to um, help the movement forward. Totally. Um, this next question is uh, really, it's a good question. Uh, not to say the other ones weren't, but um, this one comes from VL underscore illustrations 10. Um, she says, I believe that there are covert forms of racism like making jokes. How do we address that? And um, we kind of talked about that, right? Like the microaggressions, the, the sarcastic, we like pass it off as like, dude, I was just joking and like things like that. And um, yeah, I, I think that's also a part of this, like um, start, start within your own circles, right? You know, we have our behind closed doors conversations and we're like, oh, okay, well, it's fine that it's said here. Just make sure you don't go say that out there like that it starts there, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important to not um, give those passes to uh, those sorts of jokes that are um, offensive, that are problematic. Um, and you know, if you allow that to continue there and we egg it on or even just dismiss it, um, that's where things don't die. You're not killing it, you know, you're allowing it to live. So um, those are just my thoughts. Mm -hmm. Anyone else has anything to add? I know we got like maybe a two minute. <laughs> I think that just to to be able to have the courage to to speak up and to even if it's with our own friends or even family, and that can be really difficult because if we were to speak up and and, and call that out, you know, it can be met with defensiveness. It can be met with minimization. It can be met with a lot of different things. Where all of a sudden now this act of courage turns into a conflict. And so how we can practice uh, healthy, assertive communication and conflict management skills is really important. And that's the work that we have to do because then we're just, again, um, it just creates further uh, divisiveness and separation. Um, but that's, that's a really tough one. I mean, that was a really good question to ask, mm -hmm. but you know, Hopefully, with the resources that you provide to later, Kimmy, that, that can give some insight to uh, more specifics of like what can I say yeah. uh, in those situations. Yeah, yeah, and I think that like in general, <clears throat> like placing someone or an identity as a butt of a joke is again like a dehumanization of that that identity and that person. So it just doesn't help um, when you're trying to actively, especially humanize a particular group to participate in, in something, even though it's dismissed as like funny, it's, it really is an act of, yeah. of cutting somebody down and reducing their humanity. Absolutely. Um, last question. This is uh, from uh, at Adizi. Adizi. Uh, will we be seeing more diverse group of voices slash instructors teaching and on the podcast crossing fingers emoji? Yes, <laughs> we, you will be seeing a lot more. And um, yeah, I mean, that's all a part of us like expanding our, our knowledge on uh, what we could do to give visibility, opportunity, um, and for our own, not only our own knowledge, but to show we understand what platform that we have. And um, 
we want to be responsible with it. And um, uh, we, we're, we're going to move into our, our third part next week where we're going to get a little bit deeper or just a lot deeper on on the, the legislative sides of things. Uh, you know, f terms like defund the police, which is obviously uh, being thrown around a lot. A lot of people don't really know what that means. Like things like that we're going to address um, in our episode next week. So um, yeah, if you guys, uh, again, this is a conversation that's going to keep going. Uh, we'll do our best to keep providing uh, more of these types of conversations and the resources and things that, uh, mm -hmm. that Kimmy had mentioned. Uh, we'll plug those into our show notes. And uh, again, if you want to check this episode out um, on the audio platforms, it's going to be on the podcast uh, streamings this Friday. And episode one's already up. And um, thank you guys so much for tuning in. And uh, we, we know, like, this is, you know, we're, we're not here dancing, but, uh, you know, we're, we're here wanting to learn and grow because this um, affects what we ultimately do as a larger dance community as well. And we, we're trying to start here and, and, and move from there. So. Um, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll catch you guys next week for part three. Peace. Catch your